Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg as always, and today we have three topics that I want to talk about. Two are our newer stories that came out this week, and the third is a follow-up to a story I did not too long ago about the Spyro Reignited trilogy and how those fans owe me an apology. And don't worry, I'll get to it. I'm going to get to it all, baby. We got a whole lot of great stuff today. I'm feeling good. It's the week before Thanksgiving. Um... I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to make this content for you guys and for you guys to watch and, and all the nice things. People come into the store all the time and say, hey, thanks. Like, I can't wait to hear what you say about this. I can't wait to hear what you say about that. And that makes me feel very good. So I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for always supporting and listening and watching if you're on YouTube and whatever it is. But it is so official. And I'm very thankful for you. Um, uh, with that being said, <clears throat> let's see. Let's, let's get ready here. So the first story, oh boy, of course, you know, everything's working fine, and then I flip over to, uh, I flip over to my podcast screen, and for some reason it's showing some some screen that doesn't exist, so, you know, live, live, live podcast, everybody, here we go. Um, so the first story we're going to talk about today is the story that came out early this week, I should say early last week, I suppose, we do this on a Tuesday, is that Sony, this is a big headline, Sony is skipping E3 2019. That's a big deal. Um, So this is, you know, this is something Sony's been a part of E3 for about as long as it's existed, I think, um, or at least most of it. And it, uh, they've always uh, had a part in it. Uh, They've had a huge show floor, They've always had a huge presentation. In fact, there's a tradition, me and the guys at the store will every, that Monday night, because it always starts at like 8 p.m. Central Time, We when we close the store, we all sit around, we order some food, and we just watch the Sony press conference together, because a lot of us are PlayStation fans, so it's like a, just a really great time. The last year, last year's was actually pretty cool. They, you know, they announced Resident Evil 2 remake, um, you know, they showed some great stuff with Ghost of Tsushima, like it was, it was pretty awesome, you know, um, it's, it's always a good time, I guess is my point. Um, obviously people argue that this year was kind of lame. Sony clearly didn't have a lot to show. Well, so as we go on, here was Sony's quote about why they're going to be skipping E3 2019. Quote, as the industry evolves, Sony Interactive Entertainment continues to look for inventive opportunities to engage the community. PlayStation fans mean the world to us, and we always want to innovate, think differently, and experiment with new ways to delight gamers. As a result, we have decided not to participate in E3 2019. We're exploring new and familiar ways to engage our community in 2019 and can't wait to share our plans with you. End quote. So, you know, at first you see this, you're like, oh man, like, what's Sony doing? What's Sony thinking? But they're not the first and I'm pretty sure they're not going to be the last. So as you kind of look through here, um, other uh, other companies have done the same. Electronic Arts has its own event in Hollywood leading up to E3. If you remember, I think it was Saturday. Technically Saturday, uh, sometime during the day, was when EA did their press conference. So they held their own event, not even at E3. Now, to be fair, they still do have a, a, a booth on the floor where you can go play things. Um, last year, Microsoft rented out a theater at LA Live, which is a few minutes from the convention center. And Nintendo has spent the last few years doing their own like pre-recorded videos. They don't do like live press conferences anymore. Now, again, these companies still have booths on the floor where you can demo their games and they have marketing and PR people talking to the, the people. Sony is completely pulling out. 
they they are just like we're we're giving up our floor space, which is apparently one of the largest reserved spaces in in the in the hall. They're giving that up, and they're uh, not doing any press conference anymore. So this is just I mean that that's pretty huge, you know. So at first you think, well, something must be wrong, you know. And, and I think it's really easy to to say things like, oh, you know, Sony Sony doesn't have anything to show, or you know, at this point. I'm sorry, at, at November 20th, it's really hard to gauge what you would and wouldn't have to show in seven months to E3. Like, yes, they're working on it. They've been working on this idea of what they want to show since the last E3, but it's not like everything's set in stone by November 20th, which is today's date. Really, November 15th, which was the date that they made this announcement. So I, I, don't, I think that's a little conclusion jumping uh, a little bit, uh, but I think it's also fair to say Last year, they came out, a, like a, I want to say, a few weeks before E3 or a few days before, and they said, you know, we're not really going to have a lot to show. It's going to be a real chill conference. We're just going to have, like, these three or four big games. That's all we're going to show. And then they still threw in a surprise or two. But for the most part, they delivered on exactly what they promised. And people still, there was backlash from that. There was people going, like, oh, Sony's conference sucks, and they didn't show anything, and all this other nonsense. And you're like, well, I guess that's true except they kind of said that. Now, one interesting thing to note is that last year, 2018, or this year, excuse me, 2018, PlayStation canceled its PlayStation experience, which is its own Sony kind of expo. It normally happens in December. They canceled that. And so that, to me, tells me that they don't see the benefit in doing two shows a year. There's just not enough to show that's any different. Maybe the, it's not cost effective for them to do two shows. They're not seeing any sort of return on their investment. And I think that's very realistic. So last year they did E3, so they said, you know what, we don't need to do PSX. However, I think now they're saying, well, we're going to skip E3. We're going to blow the doors off the joint with our own PlayStation experience conference and, and i think part of what this might come down to and a lot of this is is really you know just my own thoughts on this because really there's not a lot of info this really came out of left field and a lot of people didn't really know what to expect and so he just drops this bombshell and i think part of it is the ever-evolving e3 and so for the longest time e3 was closed it was never an open to the public sort of convention and i think that if Sony wants to reach out more to fans than it does to the media, something like the PlayStation experience does that better. Instead of Sony paying somebody for the right to be there and fans to have access to them, Sony can put on a conference where they can, you know, sell their merch and and um and they can make the money off the convention as opposed to paying somebody else to do basically the exact same thing to have access to their customers. And and, and so it's E3 is in a really weird transitional phase right now. They're trying to find that are we like packs where we're a consumer based show or are we like, you know, the game developers conference where it's more of a media focused game developers focused sort of event. And so I think they're still searching for their new identity. You know, the ESA is always looking for like ways to keep their, their ideas fresh and their industry fresh. And so they're, they're evolving and they're trying to say, Hey fans come to, E3. Um, I was a lot. I was honored enough to go to E3 uh, once, as as an employee of GameStop. If you'd be, <laughs> you know, as surprising as that might sound, because they had basically purchased so many tickets, and they allow they gave the tickets or allowed managers to buy the tickets who were most tenured. So me and a few friends went out to LA, and it was a great time. It was actually in 06, June of 06. 
So it was right before the launch of the Wii and the PS3. So it was just just amazing time to see new hardware in person. To, and I know it sounds dumb now because the Wii, in my opinion, is not very fun now. But at the time, the Wii somehow, however they were demoing it, it was magical. Like, I remember playing the Wii and just being blown away. Uh, and then obviously as time went on, I got completely disenfranchised by the Wii and I didn't like it. Even the first day, like I had a Wii party when it came out. I had a bunch of friends over and we played like four player games. And even after an hour or two, I was like... Man, this isn't uh, <laughs> this isn't uh, flicking the old bean. Um, but so uh, I got to go to E3, and it was a really really cool show. And back then, it was still like a, a, a closed event, so it wasn't open to the public, which was kind of neat. But it was still full of people who were really passionate about the industry and and everything. The only thing that sucked was I had a big badge that said I was from GameStop, and so when you walked up to uh, like a booth and you started talking to them, they'd be really excited and talking to you and like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm a store manager at GameStop. It's like, you saw the life from their face just sucked away. Like, Oh, I'm wasting my time talking to this moron. Who's just a store manager at GameStop who has no decision-making power. And I just wasted 10 minutes talking to this idiot. <laughs> like that's, that's the feeling I got from probably five or six or seven different people. And I went there asking questions. I went and said, Hey, tell me about your game tell me about this, you know, and it was, and tell me about your new hardware. I mean, I remember being there and there was like, it wasn't working, unfortunately, but they had this huge like arena that was supposed to be like a VR arena. And this is in 06, you know, so this is pretty early on. This is 12 years ago. And, uh, but it wasn't working sadly, but I remember seeing that and be like, oh, cool. And then of course, every hour on the hour, they were playing the Metal Gear Solid 4 trailer. And so I was like, every hour I was running back to the Konami booth to watch it on the big screen again, because it was just epic so anyway getting away from that uh e3 a couple years ago opened up the doors to everybody and said you just want to come in as a fan come in as a fan but part of the problem with that is you still had these closed off areas you had these press only events and you had all the other stuff going on that you didn't have access to as a fan so i think that sony looked at that and said well why would we have an event where we still have to you know talk to the media but but like another company is dictating who we get to share our information with and so i think they just want more control plain and simple what i really hope it isn't and i don't believe this but this is a fear of mine what i really hope it isn't is that um we'll call it that sony that playstation arrogance coming back a little bit that we saw with the launch of the playstation 3 now I, I can't stress this enough. I am a PlayStation fan. I It is my preferred console. Ever since the PS1, it has been my go-to system. It is my favorite. Okay, so when I say this, I'm not bashing Sony. But there are certain facts that you have to acknowledge. And those facts are that Sony got very arrogant after the huge launch of the PS2. They thought they could get away with anything. They thought whatever they did, we would buy because of how strong the PlayStation 2 was. Now, part of that strength of the PS2 hurt the PS3 because people were still buying it and were like, why would I switch to the PS3 when the PS2's got like 2,000 games? That was part of it. Other part of it was they said, hey, we can make this multimedia super machine we can make it with a cell processor that nobody knows how to use, but it's we're, we're PlayStation, so developers will be begging us to make games, right? And then we'll make it $600 because people will pay anything for this box because it's worth it. And it was worth that price. But were people going to buy it just because it was Sony? No. Not to mention you come out at a price point that's $200 higher than the more expensive Xbox 360, and you come out a year later. Microsoft stole so much of that fan base during the early PS3 days. 
It's just a fact. It's not me loving on Microsoft. It's just, it's a fact. It's what happened. And so I'm hoping that this isn't that Sony arrogance creeping back in where they're going to creep up and be like, oh, we know what we're doing. We know the industry better than everybody else. We know our fans better than anybody else. We know everything better than everybody else. And then they make some just mental, mental decision, which turns everybody off. Now, I certainly hope not. And I don't think that's true, but I could, I, I could see that, you know, and they have new leadership. And so anything's possible when you have new leadership. Now, uh, one of my least favorite video game personalities, I'll call him a personality because I can't really, I guess I could call him a professional, but I don't know. Personally, I'm not a fan of his ridiculous predictions. Michael Pachter. So this guy has been around for many, many years. He's a gaming industry analyst for Wedbush Securities, and he is a veteran of the business, according to this article, which does not make sense. He's not a veteran of the business. He, I guess he's a veteran of the analyst business. He's not a veteran of the gaming industry by any stretch, except that he's been analyzing it for years. So whatever. So Michael Pachter, big, big dog, Michael Pachter, uh, <laughs> he claims that uh, it is, let's see here, gaming analyst Michael Pachter says Sony's making a mistake by skipping E3 2019. Uh, let's see here what he said. Um, uh, oh, I guess that's all he said was that it was a mistake. Uh, oh, here we go. The analyst went on record in an interview with Gaming Bolt speculating why he believes Sony might be skipping E3, but also why he feels the reasons are irrelevant. Quote, it is because of the timing of new games. They just don't have a lot of new things to announce in June. I think it's a mistake to skip the show. They will probably be there with a they will probably be there with a big booth. It was a surprise to me. Well, they've already said they're not going to be there with a big booth, so Michael Pachter's wrong already, but okay, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then this article goes on to say that Pachter is genuinely a pretty good history when making uh, game-related predictions. That is false. Uh, I didn't feel like going and looking for all the ones he was wrong on because I don't care enough, but he is usually quite inaccurate, or he makes these, like, ridiculous claims, you know? Like, like I believe he said that the PlayStation's, like, gonna launch the playstation 4 was gonna launch in like 2014 or 2015 whatever it was he was wrong it doesn't matter um so i like this last paragraph by screen rant though this is being actually pretty good and so they say that being said however it's very possible that pactor is simply viewing e3 as something that isn't e3 has definitely become less important over the past few years thanks to twitch streaming with several major developers choosing to host their own presentations thanks to the platform and its ability to reduce overall production costs uh, Sony still has plenty of exclusives it could base a show around, including Death Stranding, Ghost of Tsushima, and Last of Us Part Two. Even with a mediocre showing of newer games, fans would likely be excited to see more about those titles. That the company is instead skipping E3 altogether could be the start of a trend rather than a one-off decision and should be worth monitoring as we get closer to the event proper. I, I completely agree with that. I think that um, I think that they might be you know, they, they want to set a trend and, and a trend that Microsoft can start doing their own events, which they do. They have the X, you know, the XO 18, you know, they have like their expo. They should. Um, E3 is definitely a cool event. And I think it's a neat way for like people to check out games. And what I hope is that even if the big dogs all pull away, maybe the event shrinks a little bit, but then you start to see the focus on more mid-level and smaller developers at E3. I like that idea. I think that'd be great. Uh, I think it's okay to, to let the big guys step out, let them do their own events and you can still make E3 a big deal, you know? Um, and, and Michael Pachter, you know, talking about how they don't really have much to show. I mean, that's, that's, what's been announced. You know, uh, my, my understanding, what I've read is that Sony has at least three or four more exclusives that they have not announced. Uh, now a really good point here, and this is actually just a comment on Kotaku, but I liked this comment. 
from Hurricane DJ. My first thought was they're saving everything for a big PlayStation 5 reveal in February 2020. If I remember correctly, they revealed PS4 in February 2013 alongside a big Destiny 1 unveiling. I can see them pushing Last of Us 2 and God of War 2 Horizon Zero Dawn 2 to the PlayStation 5 at launch. And Jason Schreier, the article writer, actually said I think it's a good guess other than Last of Us 2. Last of Us 2 will definitely be on the PlayStation 4. They're not going to push it off to the 5. But I think what you're going to start to see as well is a lot of games come out for the 4 and the 5. When they make the PlayStation 5, the hardware is basically identical to the PS4. It's just souped up. And I should, well, I don't mean basically identical, but I mean like the processor arc archetypes like the um the structure is basically the same so they can make a game it's like having a windows computer and having another windows computer that's got like a better video card and a better processor you could still make the game easily for both you just adjust the settings and you adjust some things like frame rate uh resolution such like that and so i think that's what we're going to see is a lot of dual launch games that come out on the ps4 but then their counterpart their their better version will come out as launch tiles for ps5 sony knows it had a very weak PS4 launch library, uh, and they know that they got to have some sort of heavy hitter, and they've got all these great PS4 games slated to come out around the same time as the PS5 is going to come out. It's just a no-brainer. It's how it's going to work. They also might be backwards compatible, but if the game's are the same price, clearly you're going to buy it for the PlayStation 5, not for the PlayStation 4, because why would you get the lesser version even if it's backwards compatible it's not like you're saving any money now if it was $20 cheaper people might buy that version then play it on their ps5 but kind of doesn't make sense so uh then they, again it brought up this whole industry uh, interesting point is that sony it looks like sony's aiming for a 2020 release of the playstation 5 which i think is is accurate i think what we might see is next summer we'll see some sort of full reveal uh, maybe not even a four-wheel, maybe a teaser, but some sort of announcement about the PlayStation 5. They'll come out with their initial stuff. We could see the PlayStation 5 launch as early, I think, as March 2020, which Nintendo has proven with the Switch that you can launch a console out of the holiday season and be incredibly successful. In fact, some might argue it's better to build up, slow build to the holidays. You have holiday titles coming out that are ready that weren't ready at launch. Plus, you've got your stock built for the holidays. You're not rushing to fill shelves. And it's just a lot easier, I think, to gauge interest. Um, so I could see them launching it in March 2020, or most likely Sony's quite traditional. That way we might see it in the holiday of 2020. I'm really hoping it comes out in March. I think that's just a better idea. It kind of helps with that drought, too. Like, There's tons of games to play in September and October and November. It'd be nice to have a new system come out in March or April and then be able to slow burn through some launch titles and then just ramp up the holiday season at the end. So again, it's all rumors at this point. Really, we have no idea why except Sony saying they just want to make a better experience for their fans. I think next year we will see the return of the PlayStation experience. Maybe they're going to change it. Maybe they'll rebrand it. Maybe they'll make it bigger. Maybe they'll make a couple events like they'll do an East Coast and a West Coast. I don't know. Hopefully it's in Chicago and I can go to it. <laughs> It'd be really awesome. But in any case, it's very cool. And, and if they focus more as a fan event, something like BlizzCon, I'd rather have that, I think, than E3. And E3 is also this time where everybody's there. There's hundreds of announcements, like thousands of companies there. You can get lost in that message. And it's a competition. How, how many articles do you read where it's, who won E3? Microsoft won E3. PlayStation won E3. It's like, well... If you don't play, you can't lose, right? So you know what? Let them fight it out, and you make your own event where you're the star. All the media people will be there. They're not splitting their time because you have multiple press conferences and meetings set up to talk to people all week long. Make your own event where you can 
set and everybody's focus is on you. That makes more sense to me. And I think that's what their thought process is. And I certainly hope so because I really don't want to see it. I don't want to see it as Sony being that those guys that, that, that company that is so arrogant that they think they know what's best for the entire industry. All right, moving on then. So the next story we're going to talk about today is this announced. It's a it's a rumor, but it seems to be pretty uh, pretty concrete. But the rumor is that Microsoft is considering building a diskless Xbox One for release next year in 2019. A diskless Xbox. So oftentimes by this this time in a cycle, we start to get the third generation of consoles. So a good rule of thumb for me, in my opinion, is that the third generation of consoles usually isn't that great. So you've got your first generation, which you think is your best hardware. Then a second version comes out, the S model or the PlayStation 4 Slim. And it's made some slight revisions, some things that needed to be tweaked to make the hardware overall better. I believe that. But when it comes to the third one, usually the third iteration of hardware is when they start to go cheap. So the third iteration of hardware is when, what can we cut out of this thing? What can we do to make this as cheap to make as possible as we're looking to the future for our next system? Well, this essentially is looking at the third generation of the Xbox One. We haven't heard anything of a of a third generation PS4, and I'd be okay if they didn't. I think the Slim is fine. I don't think they need to go with another one, but we'll see it. We'll see a PlayStation 4 third model or something that comes out where it's super compact and who knows maybe they'll do the same thing it'll come out without a disk drive and a four terabyte hard drive so as here's what's being reported by thurat this console would very much be part of the xbox one family of devices and not the next generation the rumored xbox one is expected to be released sometime in 2019 possibly as early as spring and sell for 200 or less the rumor also maintains that any Scarlet consoles would end up coming later sometime in 2020. So they're still talking about the next generation of Xbox consoles, that this is not it. Uh, going on, a revised Xbox One S SKU is also rumored to be in development, retaining a disk drive while allowing Microsoft to sell the hardware at a reduced rate by adjusting other components. This suggests the Xbox One X family would then be comprised of three hardware units, the X, the S, and the rumored diskless Xbox One. Another part of the rumor involves Microsoft opening up a disc-to-digital program that lets players who already own Xbox games on disc to take them to participating retailers, the Microsoft Store specifically mentioned, to trade the physical copy in for a digital download. Uh, keep in mind, this is heavily rumored and no, officially, uh, no official word has come from Microsoft on any new Xbox One console. Uh, so... Wow, that's a lot. Okay, so I have a couple different takes on this uh, from a couple different perspectives. So one, if you don't know, if you haven't been listening to me for a long time, uh, I own a used video game store. So whenever you hear something like this, the people, a lot of people come to me and they're like, what are you going to do? Are you, are you worried? Are you nervous? You know, and I look around and I look around at my store, which right now has more product than we've ever had. We're busting at the seams every day. Someone's bringing in stuff to sell us. Um, I, I don't want to say I'm worried about it from a business perspective. You know, my philosophy has always been that this generation most likely will still have physical media. I could see, or I should say next generation. So whatever comes out in 2020 will most likely still have physical media. After that, I believe it will be all digital. So we're talking seven, eight, nine years down the road. I believe that it will be all downloads and all digital. So if that's the case, 
I will have 50 years of old video games to go back and sell. So we carry everything from Xbox or from Atari uh, to right now PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. So we have all that. So if you take the PS5, Xbox Scarlet, and whatever the Nintendo's next system is, plus if they do their handhelds, Nintendo might be doing carts forever. You, you don't know. And so you take all that stuff into consideration. Worst case scenario, even the next gen, if they're discless, I still have 40 years of games to sell my store. So as a business owner, I don't really care. Um, it doesn't affect me. My, you have to, you're constantly, constantly rotating your, uh, your strategy as a business owner. So you, you have to, you have to roll with the punches. You know, I can't control it. I can't control where media goes. So you have all you can control. You take hold of what you control and you control it. And so I'm not too worried about that Two, It's also just an option. So what they're basically saying is that next year you'll have an option to buy an Xbox one without a disc drive, or you'll have, you'll be able to buy one with a disc drive. It's Microsoft dipping their toe in the water and saying, if we can get fans on board with this now, the next generation, if the sales are really good, we can just make a discless Xbox our only option and we'll get people to adopt. Now, when Microsoft tried to innovate this generation, it burned them very badly. And now while that was five years ago, it was, it's still, if it came out today, I think you would still have these issues. People aren't ready for a full online connected digital only system it's just we're not there yet and we'll get there and there are people who buy digital uh i mean our store for ps4 and xbox one and switch games those sections after five years should be much bigger than they are it's just how it goes though more people are buying digital it's it's a shift that's coming but it's it's uh it's still not like the preferred way for everyone to play and so someone's going to make that decision first. Microsoft tried doing the online only DRM console and it flopped on them. It, it, it hurt them because they tried to innovate too quickly. We weren't ready for it. Plus they announced it first and Sony just came in and was like, oh yeah, what a stupid idea. Even though they were planning on something very similar. So whoever announces it first. Now Sony's probably waiting to see what Microsoft does. And I don't know if Microsoft will make that same mistake again. Because they might want to wait and see and say, like, we have to we have to know our crowd this year. We cannot push them out. However, Microsoft's really aiming towards this really interesting future of cloud gaming and their, their streaming services. They may not need to even have this issue with downloadable games because they might just be streaming everything on the xCloud service, like Netflix. So all you really need is a box similar to, like, a Roku. You could sell it for probably 50 to 100 bucks. And then it's it's your Xbox. Again, you're always connected online, but I mean, if you have a Roku or Netflix, I mean, you have to be online all the time to watch that. So it is, it is we are getting there. So that's my first reaction is, I'm okay with it being an option. And I'm, I'm okay with it as a business owner who makes his entire living off of selling physical media. With that being said, how will I think it'll do? I don't think it'll sell a ton. Uh, if you're going to make a discless Xbox One, you have to really crank the hard drive size. Unless you're really banking on people being stupid enough to just buy a $100 external hard drive and then paying more than they would have just paid if they had bought the disc-based games in the first place. So it is certainly possible. Um, do I think that it'll do well? I don't think so. I think it'll sell okay. You know, I think there'll be people out there who go, yeah, that makes sense. But it all depends on the price too. If it's only $200, that's not good enough in my opinion. $200 is not low enough because right now for Black Friday deals, that's what an Xbox One S with a disk drive is going for. $200 to me is not good enough of a price. 
However, taking out a disk drive, a Blu-ray drive, doesn't cut that much of a cost. So it's not your most expensive component in the Xbox. You're not cutting $100 off an Xbox One if you take the disk drive out. It's just not realistic. So they can, they can cut the price down, take a loss, and then you know, to, to get this kind of market test. Cause that's really what it is. It's a test of the future for them. Are people ready to adopt this model of, of their entertainment consumption? And I doubt it. I, I just don't think they are. So I think it'll do okay. I think there are people out there. And again, it all depends on the price. If it comes out at 199 permanent and their Xbox one S is 249 or 269, I think it is now, or bundles with games are 299. So I could see people looking at that and going, Oh, an Xbox is only 200 bucks. It doesn't have a disc drive. Okay. I'll buy that. And then buy all the games digital. But oftentimes, like the PSP Go, it, it never ceases to amaze me how uninformed the public can be about certain things. And I know that I'm on the blogs all day, every day. I work in games. Like I read, it's like my favorite hobby. It's my favorite pastime. It's my industry. I love it. And I understand that not the average person doesn't do that. But you'd be surprised how the average person doesn't know a lot. People still come into the store and ask me about the PSP Go. And I explain to them how it's digital only. And they're like, wait, what? You can't play discs in it? I'm like, no, you can't. Like, oh, forget it. And they don't want it. Uh, I know it's a little different story. It's a PSP handheld versus a Xbox one console, but the same sort of thing applies. People will go and buy this and then be like, wait, you like, they'll buy this. And if they're not at a good store, that's going to tell them right away. Like, Oh, you can't buy physical games. You have to buy all your games with these cards and download everything on the internet. And you have to download games. that will take, I mean, I'm sorry. The Xbox one interface is slow as hell. So to download and install these games, you're looking at a couple hours. Ugh, that's a hard sell. That's a really hard sell. Um, and so the average person I think will pass on this if they know what they're getting, if they're informed about their decision. But again, it never ceases to amaze me how uninformed the average, uh, consumer can be sometimes about the products that they love. And, uh, and that's not a rip on them. It's just saying things like a parent is only told so much about a kid. A kid wants an Xbox one. So they come to my store sometimes and they're like, please help me. <laughs> please help me. I have no idea what I'm doing and I just need an Xbox one. And then it's like, okay, well, Let's talk about it. And you engage with them in like a 15 to 20 minute conversation because that's what this kind of takes now. And you engage with them in like a 15, 20 minute conversation. And then you hope that you inform them properly uh, to, for them to make a, a valid decision. So I don't, uh, I don't have an issue necessarily with this, but I don't think it'll necessarily do very well. But they're going to look at the sales of this as if they're going to do an all digital Scarlet, whatever the next Xbox is called, or if they still maybe offer two SKUs, they'll offer the discless version and the regular version. Uh, and then lastly, I want to talk quickly about this rumor about the uh, the disc trade-in system. A report also details a planned disc-to-digital system launching for the console, allowing existing disc owners to convert select games to digital licenses. Under this, you can trade discs at participating retailers, hoping to ease the conversions for those invested in physical media. So basically, like the IGN page was saying, they're talking about going to a Microsoft store, taking in like five or six of your Xbox games, and they'll be able to say, okay, we can go to your account, add the licenses for these games. Now, I don't think that's a terrible idea. It's kind of neat that they can do that, except really who's going to do that, especially when isn't Microsoft really banking on like the Game Pass? Any games that are compatible are going to be games that are offered on the Game Pass. So if you're pushing your Game Pass, no one's going to take those physical games and then want to trade them in. Although on the flip side, if you have Game Pass, why would you ever buy a physical game again? You know, So they're really attacking this physical media on multiple fronts. It's very interesting stuff. 
And again, as someone who makes, like I live off of the fact that I'm able to buy and resell physical games, I'm not that worried about it. It's the future, people. We have to be ready for it. It was coming. It's been the way PC gaming has been for a long time, and it's coming. Uh, we can hold off as long as we want, though, and I'll never hold it against somebody for, for holding off and being a fan of physical games. Plus, look at what we've got going on with, um, you know, lim companies like Limited Run Games, Strictly Limited Games, uh, signature edition games, special reserve games, all of these companies take small indie titles and they make physical versions of them for us to buy. If even in an all digital future, I could still see that happening unless obviously the systems then no longer come with disc drives. So if I was say a company like them to run games, I might be a little more nervous about the future of all digital than I would be as like me selling physical games. I can go back and sell Nintendo games. Can limited run? I mean, eh, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe there'll be a market for like creating, you know, brand new NES games and people will go back to buying new NES. I don't know. Who, know, who knows? Like, you know, I, I hope they are okay, but you never know. So, uh, but I find that very interesting that they have a place, a plan in place to try to combat people who are going to say, well, I bought all these games and now I can't play them in my discless Xbox. They already have a way of saying, but you can, uh, even though it seems kind of not as well thought out as some of the other plans. All right. So lastly, this is a tough one because, uh, quite frankly, I'm going to demand an apology. <clears throat> and, and I normally don't do this, but I'm going to demand an apology from people who watched my last video on Spyro Reignited Trilogy. So in case you need a recap, I did a video on the Spyro Reignited Trilogy, and I talked about how I did not like that the disc only contains the first game and contains the first few areas of the second and third game, you have to download a day one update to make parts two and three complete. I'm not happy with that sort of business practice. If you're going to sell a physical disc, you better put the full game on it. And I'm not saying that, yes, initial patches making the game better. I understand that. But you're literally cutting out over half of the second and third games as, as a patch. Now, uh, when I made a video about this, for some reason, I didn't realize that there were so many passionate Spyro fans that don't care to listen to truth or reason. And it's really frustrating to me because I'm not knocking the game at all. I want this game to be good. Spyro is an awesome PS1 classic. I'd love to see the Spyro treatment given to like the the uh, crash treatment, you know, and, and done really well. But you know what? All the crash games were on the disc. I think there was an update to add like a hidden level in the Switch version or something. But for the most part, those games are complete. In the future, you can play this game. You'll be able to pop in the Crash Insane trilogy in 20 years and still play it to completion. The Spyro Trilogy in 20 years, if you don't have the original hardware you played it on, which, let's get real, whose PlayStation 4 is going to last 20 years, this stuff doesn't last like this anymore. So, you won't be able to play that full game. And I just think it's a crappy business practice. It has nothing to do with the developer. I'm not saying they suck. I'm not saying Spyro sucks. Like, I can't emphasize this enough. But I'm here to demand an apology, because this is sort of what I was dealing with that day. So, uh, the patch isn't because the game is incomplete. In fact, it's the opposite. There is so much content that all three games cannot physically fit on the disc. They chose this option because it would not be cost-effective to produce two discs. So this rumor started flying around that for some reason, like, the game was not able to fit on one Blu-ray. And I thought to myself, how in the hell is that possible? The only two-disc single game we've had this generation is Red Dead Redemption 2. 
So if you're telling me that that game had to fit on a second disc to install, that game is huge. That somehow the Spyro Reignited trilogy was going to be larger than Red Dead 2? I mean, come on. I, I'm sorry I'm not buying that. I just, I didn't believe it. And it was all based off of someone on Twitter saying, oh, someone in our, in our like, fan group played the demo and the demo was one level and that one demo was like 30 gigs so if every level is 30 gigs like the counters people were up to like the size of the game is one terabyte and i'm like i when i when i talk about games okay i talk to i want to talk on the fans level right i i am I always fight for the fans as far as I don't like when companies think we're stupid. I don't like when they try to trick us or act like we're morons. I want them to treat us like like intelligent consumers. That like I, I advocate for that all the time. But then I read comments like this, and it's like, well, I mean, I'm trying to stick up for this, but there's like comments here that just don't make any sense. Um, right here, actually, all three games are on the disc. Dispel with a K. I'm not going to give you a hard time, but okay. But extra content needs to be downloaded for free. Why is this such a big deal? See, like right here, this person's argument is actually all three games are on the disc, but extra content needs to be downloaded. Well, then all three games aren't on the disc. Like, like this is what I was dealing with. Um, why is it such a big deal? Everyone says it's because people without internet may not have access to this stuff, which is something that people have not complained about up up about until now that's exactly the complaint people always have when a game's required to have some extra download it's people have been claiming complaining about it with the sports games on the switch people complained about it we just talked about that with the xbox one and how originally it was going to be online only you know and it's and so what what irritates me is you still have like these kind of like weird classist comments where it's well if you don't have enough money for internet you shouldn't be buying games or something it's like well some people one don't have access to good internet some people too have data caps, so they don't want to be downloading 30 or 40 gigabytes for a, for a game to complete it that should just be on the disc. And so there's all these, like, this is, this is what I'm working with though. So like, it, it's like, you're trying to respect people and make a valid point. The whole reason to me making this video was, Hey, we shouldn't support companies that do stupid stuff like this. And, and, and that's all it was. Like the, the comment was just, we shouldn't support companies that make bad decisions. I understand wanting to support Spyro. And the people that are big Spyro fans that want to play this, think about this for a second. You were fans of the original Spyro games. Anytime you want, you go pick up a copy of Spyro 1, you pop it in a PlayStation 1, 2, or 3. You can play that Spyro game to completion. Right off the disc. Nothing else needed. This game, which is a really cool looking remake where they touched up the graphics, you can't do that with this in 20 years. So you're hoping that maybe they remake it again? Come on. You know, that's not, come on, you know, it's okay to love something and be very critical of it. I love Metal Gear. I was so critical of Metal Gear Solid 5 story and ending, so critical of it, because as a fan, I'm allowed to be critical. You gotta be careful, we can't put those blinders on, you know? But this is what I'm dealing with. Um, and, I'm, and I'm still buying the game despite everything we're hearing, and I'm like, that's cool, look, I'm like, hey, that's okay, and I hope you enjoy the game. Uh, you know, I'm not knocking anybody uh, for wanting to play it. Um, you know, so... Uh, here, this game is complete, but Toys for Bob couldn't fit the whole collection on the disc. Then it's not complete on the disc. Like that was my whole point. And, and, and this is like, it was, it was, it was killing me that day to like argue this. Like I was on Twitter and I'm like, I just can't, I can't deal. Someone on Twitter and I couldn't find the tweet. I don't know if it's been deleted or what. Someone on Twitter was arguing with me this point that it's a permanent patch. When you download the patch, it takes the files and writes them to the disc. And I'm like, no, that's not how this works. 
<laughs> like, and, and I'm not being rude about it. And I understand that everyone's as into this as I am. But there's simple things you have to understand about this industry and about the way things work. You don't even understand how technology works. Somebody was making a comment about how, because it's on the Unreal Engine, that that coding takes up way more space. The, co the code takes more space on the Unreal Engine than code on... No, that's not how it works. Just understand what you're talking about if you're going to make an argument. Um, so let's see here. Uh, here we go. Oh, for God's sakes. The game as a whole is completed. I already got my pre-order for this back in April. The required content download is a patch for games 2 and 3. Half of 2 and 3 are on the disc, and the patch is needed to update the game. The game is not complete on the disc then. My God, it's like no one watched the video. And that's, I think, what happened. Is I really don't believe anybody watched the video. Because the video, I clearly state, the game is not complete on the disc. On the disc. Say it again, on the disc. Um, the data literally cannot fit on one disc. There needs to be two discs. So this is what I was dealing with. However, let's move on from the past. I'm not hung up on it. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about how... This recent Reddit thread, which I'm loving today, and this is why I feel okay to ask for an apology. This Reddit thread, Spyro Reignited, has 9.25 gigabytes on the disk and a 19.69 gigabyte downloadable patch. The full 30 gigabytes could have fit on the Blu-ray retail disk. And he's got proof. Ooh, we got pictures. So here's 9.25 gigabytes of install, copy and application 1.0. Then here, Downloading update file, 19.69 gigabytes, under 30 gigabytes total for the game. So I want to go through some of these points. So this is uh, on Reddit. This is Moot Meep. This was a day ago he he provided this. It's got uh, 2,500 upvotes. Boom, there's another one. Um, and let's see here. Spyro Reignited has 9.25 on disk and a 19.69 patch. <laughs> So here's what he talks about. He says that what's really annoying is that once the 9.25 gigabytes copies and installs, the game starts and gives you the menu option to play Spyro 1, 2, or 3. If you don't have internet and try to play 2 or 3, the game just pops up a message with one word, installing, and then does nothing. I've tested it for one hour. It isn't installing a thing. Nothing is occurring during this period. Now he goes on to say down here, though, it's some sort of like hang up in the software. If you hard power off your system and then power back on, it will work. But anyway... Um, the first game is playable from the disc, but it's deceptive to say some levels require download on the title screen when what is really the case is games two and three simply aren't on the disc at all. You aren't missing some levels. You just flat out can't play the game at all. Yes, it's true. There's an asterisk and tiny font text on the back of the box that states that games two and three actually require internet downloads. But why the hell is that acceptable, especially considering the files would have fit on the disk regardless? Uh, and then he goes on some conjecture or you know, whatever. And then uh, now, while you may argue that it's not directly related to Spyro 2 and 3, I think it's pretty clear that it's a get out of jail free card for Activision because there is a title screen that has this disclaimer. When you play the game, Activision makes no guarantee regarding the availability of online or app play or features, including possible in-game in-app in-game purchases and may modify or discontinue such availability in its discretion without notice including for example ceasing online service for economic reasons due to a limited number of players continuing to make use of the service over time so uh he did a little bit further testing you can commence play on spyro 2 and 3 however this requires a full power cycle of the ps4 
It appears the games two and three are essentially demos on the disc. They are functional, but it appears you can only play World 1 for each game and only sections of that as well. So after his initial thing, he went back in after that hard power reboot that we were talking about. Um, there are sections of Spyro 2 and 3 where you will have a pop-up message saying that a download is required to access this content. Ooh, actually, I kind of want to see this. <laughs> That's just, wow. That's just awesome. So they had enough time to do that, apparently. Uh, to put that in the game. So, overall, this is mildly better, but still bitterly disappointing. What we have is a Spyro trilogy where the retail release out of the box, you get Spyro 1, a demo of 2, a demo of 3. So, what they said we were getting, parts of 2 and parts of 3, is true. So they put all of Spyro 1, level 1 of Spyro 2, level 1 of Spyro 3. And I like this first comment. This is exactly what I believe. So I'm going to read this. Crimson Fall on Reddit says, The common explanation is that the discs were printed before Spyro 2 and 3 were finished to make a certification deadline. So the only way they could have added 2 and 3 is through a patch unless they delayed it even more into next year and threw out all the discs they already manufactured. Is it acceptable? Probably not. Does it make a business sense to rush it out for the holidays? You bet. And I totally agree with that. This is something that was a business decision to get the game out before Christmas. It still sucks. And I'm saying that Spyro is fine. And if you want to buy this and you have good internet and you're fine with the future not being, maybe the game not being available in the future that you paid full price for, fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not attacking anybody who likes it. That's the difference here. I'm not going after anybody. I'm not saying you're stupid for buying it. I'm not saying that. You're more than welcome to buy it. But I think it's fair to criticize it. And I shouldn't be called stupid because I don't want to buy it. Because I have a standard that I'm trying to uphold when it comes to what we pay for. You know, you're not, you're paying for a game that's incomplete on the disc. And then you, they expect you to pay full price and download an update later. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it. And I think in the long run, it will hurt it. And I think that, uh, you know, sales will be hurt by this just because of, you know, people seeing this. Now, does that mean I hate Spyro and that I hate Toys for Bob? And that, No, I, I think that they're a great developer and I think that Spyro is a great game and I I was so excited for the Spyro trilogy but this practice of part on disc and the majority of the game being a download is unacceptable to me then don't sell it physical and I think that's actually what happened too not only what the first person said is the comment but my other theory is that originally the game was going to be digital only so and in this more this more worked out in the fact that when you download it digital it's uncompressed or something like it's over 60 gigabytes when you download it, but that's also could be the download and then the install and the, um, and the, uh, decompression of the files and everything. But this game could have fit on a disc and they would have had to delay it to do so probably by a month or two. They would have missed the holiday season. I can understand that, I guess, but most of the people that were arguing with me about this game weren't buying it as a Christmas gift for somebody else. They wanted it for themselves. The game would have sold just fine in January or February. I don't know. You rush it out to the holiday and, and this is what you get. So, you know, that and, and there you go. That's that's the whole thing. But my point was now and this <laughs> this is gonna be the fun part because oh believe me, when I make this video, I'm gonna get just destroyed. So I, I'm willing to accept your apology, Spyro fans. And so all you have to do to apologize, just leave me a thumbs down on my video. Um just go ahead. I'm gonna thumbs up my own video. Just thumbs down <clears throat> on this video when you're hearing it, and that will be the best way that you can help me <laughs> is by thumbs downing it because that'll show me that you really care 
It'll show me that you uh, appreciate my my love of Spyro and my and my and me trying to help you out as a consumer. So just down, hit that thumbs down button, and that will show your and that will be me accepting your apology. And I'm okay with that. Thanks, everybody. All right, and then lastly, now this one uh, I have to set up a little bit because um, GameStop videos, for the most part, get a lot of love. Um, as in, people love hating them. <laughs> uh, let's see here. I got to get to Reddit. I, I knew I was forgetting a story. Um, and so let me just bear with me here while I... Bear with me here while I uh, find it. Um, yeah, this is this is great. <laughs> so I got that up. Um, okay. Okay, so uh, let's see here. I just want to check one more thing because, the, and we're going to talk about GameStop and the Thanksgiving hours from hell. Um, but before I get there, I just want to make sure I got all my, all my, uh, all my ducks in a row for y'all. Um, do 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 do. Uh, ooh, there's a lot of bad language in this one. Uh, <laughs> all right, anyway. Um, I'm going to find one more thread that talks a little bit about it. Um, lot of, I love the GameStop subreddit because it's full of a lot of former and current employees. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, <clears throat> okay. So... <clears throat> let's uh let's hit it here so uh, as, as i mentioned earlier gamestop videos uh, often get a lot of uh, a lot of views because i think a lot of people love to hate on gamestop and i'm a former gamestop employee i worked there for 11 years and i was at the manager level for the majority of that probably 10 years i was a store manager i was in training to become a district manager like i was at the highest level of, of the average person in the stores um so when I'm saying this, this isn't me working four hours a week as a holiday part-timer and then being like, man, GameStop is such bull crap, man. Like I, I legitimately worked there for 11 years, 10 years as a manager and one or two years, um, as a area manager training to be a district manager. So uh, th this is what I want to talk about. So I, I came across this on Reddit yesterday and this really, um, this really made me sad because I was at my local GameStop the other day and, I noticed that they had a sign up saying that they're opening at 3 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. 3 p.m. on Thanksgiving Day. Now, when I my last my last Black Friday, I remember I think we opened at midnight on Black Friday. And I was like, man, this sucks because I know there's gonna be one time where we open all day Thursday. Like we're gonna start opening at 6 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day. And that never happened, thankfully, in the last uh eight years that I've been gone. But And there was even a little bit of a pushback a few years ago where GameStop talked about, let's take care of our families, let's take care of our employees, so we're going to be closed on Thanksgiving. However, this year they seem to have doubled down going back to the old ways because they're opening at 3 p.m. Now, I came across this as what was funny. So someone on Twitter 
must have said something like, hey, GameStop, why don't you not open on Thanksgiving so your employees can have off for Thanksgiving or whatever? Pretty typical stuff, you know, and, and GameStop gets a lot of hate on Twitter and gets a lot of hate everywhere, quite frankly. And, and the thing is, I don't usually bash them. Like I spent a lot of time there and, and I don't hate the company. I, I had issues with some of my upper management sometimes, but I don't really have much of an issue with this. Uh, or with, uh, with the company in general, I do have an issue with this. <laughs> I don't have much of an issue with the company in general, but this is what, so this is what GameStop's reply was on Twitter. Hello, Joel to better serve our guests with their evolving holiday shopping needs. GameStop will be opening its stores for a limited time on Thanksgiving day. Many of our store associates and guests have asked for this and we have based our decision off these requests. Thank you for contacting GameStop. We hope you have a wonderful day. And then right below it, GameStop, there's no way employees. Oh, sorry. This is Facebook. Is this Facebook? That's Facebook. Sorry. Not, not Twitter. My bad. Facebook. There's no way employee asked to work at 3 PM on Thanksgiving day calling BS. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that was, they replied to someone on Facebook about that. Like they, they literally said that their employees asked for this. Don't, don't get mad at us. The big bad company. Our employees wanted this. They wanted to work extra that day to make their stores better <coughs> to help their customers better. What a bunch of garbage. Um, and so apparently, <coughs> excuse me, my throat got a little scratchy from doing my voice there. So apparently last year there was a survey that went out, which I did not know. This was how the survey was worded according to this manager named not so fun Coland. <laughs> It was last year in a very unfair way. Multiple choice was either A, yes, because I want my store to succeed, or B, no, because I want my store to fail. <laughs> These are your options. Uh, your options in a survey were, I want to open at 3 p.m. on Thanksgiving because yes, I want my store to succeed, or no, because I want my store to fail. Where's the option that says, C, I want the store to be closed to take care of our employees so that they're ready to do well and good business throughout the holiday season. What kind of loaded ass question is this? <laughs> Would you, do you think we should open on Thanksgiving day? A, yes, because I want my store to succeed or B, no, because I want my store to fail. What an asinine question. Um, and then this, uh, so then the original poster uh uchiha sasuke 19 i did the one last year this makes it act like they asked this year too either way it's all bs i also think they lied about the results last year um and this says yeah they were gonna open either way the survey was a ruse to make it seem like we all wanted to and i have to agree with that i can't really believe that the majority of store managers wanted to be open at 3 p.m on thanksgiving i'm sorry i just i'm not buying that and even when I worked there, I was very proud when I worked there. I'm a, I was a very hard worker. I was trying to get promoted. If you asked me if we should be open on Thanksgiving, I would have said, no, let's take care of our employees so they can take care of us over the busy weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just hammer it, you know? Also, with GameStop Holiday, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, baby. Like, managers start working six-day work weeks mandatory throughout the month of December, or they did when I was there. Every week from Black Friday until middle of January, I was mandatory six-day, 55-hour work weeks. And you, you get so burned out easily, so easily burned out by doing that. So to, to assume or to, to, to argue that this is what the GameStop employees wanted is kind of unbelievable. And, and I'm sorry. <clears throat> um, this quote, many people are saying is the most dickless way to lie about something. 
my nose is itching. I'm sorry. People watching this probably wonder if I'm on Coke or something. No, my nose is just itching all of a sudden. Um, uh, let's see. My new, I'm a new SGA working 23 total hours, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Very unhappy at the moment. Too much stress for such little pay. I'm an SGA working 40 hours this week. My next day off is Saturday. <laughs> um, and don't get me wrong. I, it sucks, especially if you work in a mall, like the busyness of those areas and everything is, is crazy. Um, now this says opening an hour early this year blows. I have quite a commute to work as it is. And with us needing to be there around 2 PM, it gives no time to do anything with the family. So think about that. So they open at three employees don't show up at three employees have to be there a half hour, at least probably an hour before they open. Now here's the other side of it that people don't realize you have to set a holiday marketing plan for the day after Thanksgiving sale. That plan must be in place by the end of the day, Wednesday night, because you're closed on Thursday, you're closed until three. So if a lot, oftentimes you're there really late Wednesday night, so you can't go and do things Wednesday night with the family. You get up early, do something Thursday. You have to be back by like noon, one or two to be able to get to the store. It's bonkers. And I, and this is awful. And and not only is it awful that they're doing it, I'm going to put GameStop on full on blast here, man. When they deserve it, I'm going to do it. They not only are doing it, they're saying their employees requested it. Get out of here with that. That Own it. If you want it, own it. You want to do it, own it. GameStop says, you know what? We want to be open because our customers spend a ton of money. So we're going to be open on Thanksgiving Day. Sorry, employees. And employees go, okay, I can understand that. But to try to blame the employees like it's their fault. Um, it's just crazy to me. Um, I don't know. So anyway, here, here that's the story. Uh, it was just GameStop's ridiculous hours. I can't believe they get away with this stuff still. And... Uh, yeah, we're open on Thanksgiving this year. This was uh, oh, this was from a year ago, actually. And it just says, protect the family, my ass. They never meant protect you and your family. <laughs> oh, man, that's incredible. But that's, uh, that's, that's their mentality now. Like, when I worked at GameStop, I never had an issue with corporate. Like, like yeah, there were some things I didn't like and things I didn't agree with, but nothing like this. I mean, th this is so far beyond. And then again, not even taking ownership of it yourself, but yet trying to make an excuse and saying your employees are the ones who asked for it. Like, Hey, don't blame us. We're not the bad guys. Our employees wanted to work. They love working holidays for their garbage pay and they love not getting paid more. Although they probably do get holiday pay. Now, when I was a salary manager, uh, I didn't get paid any extra to work, just an extra 15 hours a week that I was supposed to, you know, it is what it is. And when you're trying to get promoted, you work through that stuff and you justify it. And, um, and so anyway, like, like the point in the beginning of the video was I don't, I don't hate GameStop. Like I don't trash talk them. Even when I talk about the power rewards card going away or all, I don't hate them, but I hate this. And this was a hard video to try to stick up for them for, and, and I can't do it. And, and, and hopefully, you know, you show your support to those employees. Maybe don't go in on Thursday and maybe the numbers, the numbers won't lie. If you don't go in by Thursday and we keep everything blocked off and we don't support them. Maybe they won't be open next year. Or maybe they'll open at noon. Who knows? And uh, that is the podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, um, man, what uh, what game do I want to talk about today? You know what I'm going to talk, talk about? Batman, the Sunsoft game. I think I talked about this already, but I recently beat it uh, on a live stream that I did last week. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about it because that game is deceptive in its what it is. And so it's a very good game. So it's Batman for the NES. It's by Sunsoft. It's a really, really good game. It looks like a side-scrolling Batman game. You punch things. Music's incredible, by the way. One of the best soundtracks on the NES. And it's a lot of fun. It's awesome. And then you get to these really weird diabolical platforming stages. So when you jump to a, an edge, you can hit the jump button again. You cling to the wall. And then you can jump off the wall. So like Ninja Gaiden, you can jump back and forth between two pillars and like climb and everything like that. But in Batman, they gave you that ability and then they built the game around that in the back half. So then you start having to platform through all these like ridiculous stages. And they'll have things like, oh, you know, like a lot of times you're bouncing back and forth and then you have an enemy at the top of the pillar that you have to slash right before you get there. Well, in Batman, enemies are often two or three hits. So you can't just jump there and, and, and kill it. You have to hit it a couple times and then fall down and then go back up. Or what they'll do is normally you'd cling to the ledge right below the enemy. You jump and then hit him. But they have a gear that's turning that hurts you below the enemy. So you have to jump across and then jump into the gear. and get Like whoever designed it, it's almost like they designed it as a quarter eating game where it's just like things will just BS hit you and things whatever. So it's a very difficult game. Um, and then the boss fights are pretty much just spam attacks and hope you beat them because there's just some wicked boss fights that are make, kind of make no sense. And Joker in the end, you just kind of run up and just punch the hell out of him. And it's a it's an endurance race, like just beat his ass until he falls over, uh, which I did. Um, and then my favorite part about it a uh, spoiler, I guess, for the ending, if you haven't played this 30-year-old game. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, at the end, it shows this cutscene where Batman's got Joker, right? He's got him, like, by his suit, and he just goes, now, I'll show, now, now you'll dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. And then he throws him off of the clock tower. <laughs> so if you've watched the original Batman movie from the, the Tim Burton one from the 80s, you know that, like, he punches Joker off, and then he, like, like Joker does like he falls over, but then Batman, you know, like tries to save him or then he pulls uh, Batman and Vicky Vale down. Like he doesn't just launch him off in like this, this horrendous, uh, like revenge move, you know? And then I you know, Joker's on the helicopter. He's flying away. Batman does stick his foot to the gargoyle and then he slips and dies. So there was that. Uh, but it's just a great ending, I guess. I don't know why they edited it that way, but it's just kind of hilarious at the time. And you're like, Batman just like, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. And he just throws him off the ledge. And that's the end of the game. And thankfully, I never have to play it again because now the collection, the, the version that's in my collection is the version I've completed, which is a goal of mine with all my NES games. I want to go through all my NES games and beat them. I know they don't save. It's That's not what it's about. It's just that I know that that copy of that game I beat. And I just think it's really cool. So, as always, thank you everybody for listening and watching. Thank you uh, if you are listening to this on SoundCloud or uh, and you want to listen to it in podcast form on iTunes, you can just go to the iTunes podcast app, search for Game Talk Radio. You'll see me with my little uh, red and green and black shirt uh, as, a, as a Mega Man sprite. You'll see me there. Um, if you listen to this on iTunes or SoundCloud, and you could, we'd really appreciate it if you would check out our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash drop rate, not the drop rate, just youtube.com slash drop rate or twitch we are you we are twitch.tv slash the drop rate so on twitch we're the drop rate on youtube we're drop rate and uh we're we're, we're over 5,000 subs we're almost 5,500 uh, 55 5,600 we're working out we're just trying to get to six and then we're gonna get to ten and then who the hell knows after that the sky is the limit as long as we can uh, tolerate it and tolerate each other <laughs> <laughs> so uh thank you again everybody for watching and listening hope you have a great thanksgiving everybody take care of yourselves drive safe eat lots of food uh go shopping on friday have some fun with it don't shop at gamestop until friday thanks everybody for listening Bye bye